0: Hey everybody, welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for life and leadership in Christ. My name's Tony, I'm your host. Guys, we got a fun conversation today, Kelly Needham. Kelly and her husband Jimmy are this powerhouse couple, and I get to talk to Kelly about her latest resource, PurposeFold. And Purposeful is this incredible book about your purpose and the problem with your purpose, and how really your purpose is a person such a good conversation so many nuggets i know that you're also going to love their uh, marriage podcast and kind of the podcast that her and jimmy do together they're an incredible incredible team so guys if you love this conversation do me a favor hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts share this episode with a friend and now without any further ado here's my conversation with kelly needham Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to have Kelly with me today. Kelly, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tony. I'm so happy to be here with you today.
0: Well, my podcast family knows that I always like to start in the macro, and I love to kind of ask that 30,000 viewpoint question. You've done a lot of things in your life, an author, you've got your own podcast, speaker, mom, of course. But what I'm really curious about is how would you define the calling that God has placed on your life?
1: Hmm. I would say I'm called to Christ. That my purpose is Him, and I know that's so churchy and like Sunday school answer, but that's really stabilized me through the ups and downs of my various roles in life. To go, I I just want to enjoy Him. I exist for Him. I'm fully at His disposal, and I I know every Christian would say that, but but genuinely, I wake up in the morning going. Jesus, I'm called to you, following you, motherhood, podcasting, whatever. That's what I feel called to.
0: I love that answer. I think it's hard to put handles on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of curious, like on a random Tuesday in July when the kids have been off school too long and (laughs) your husband's driving you crazy and your house feels overwhelming what does that look like?
1: Yeah. Well, one verse that comes to mind as far as like boots on the ground, what this looks like is uh, in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where it talks about with the great cloud of witnesses in mind, we run our race. But the language it uses is interesting to me. It says, run the race that is set before you with your eyes fixed mm-hmm. on Christ, then throwing aside you know, sin and weight that entangles. And so on a random Tuesday, when the kids are driving me crazy and the house is messy, that's the race that's set before me today. Uh, I might not be my preferred race, might not be what I want to do. And I think there's freedom to acknowledge that and say, this isn't my favorite type of day, (laughs) but it's what's been set before me to do. And I fix my eyes on Jesus going, Jesus, you set this before me today. Would you give me all, like so many different skill sets are needed in a day like that day. We tend to downplay them, but I need patience in a day like that. I need creativity to tame some of the chaos to and some organizational skill sets to think through what really matters most today, what spaces need to be organized, what in our schedule maybe needs to be, what needs to be addressed to my kids. I need wisdom in that day. Are they just... Bouncing off the walls because it's 108 in Texas. They can't be outside and I just need to give them grace and not like, you know, give them a thousand consequences. Mm-hmm. Or is it that they do need consequences, that this is a, a issue that I need to address? I mean, that's so much hard labor. It goes into a day that you just described and I can give it more weight when I think, gosh, this, I, I'm running my race with Jesus in front of my eyes, but I'm running the race that he set before me today. And mm-hmm. this random Tuesday, that's what it happens to be Help me do it, Jesus, with my eyes on You, working for You, as though I would, instead of men. So that's what it looks like for me, and that's what the, that type of thinking has really empowered me to live meaningfully, even on mundane days like that.
0: And the way you describe it, it didn't sound nearly as mundane as it did when I described it. So it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> clearly, you've been there, which I appreciate. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How, I think that's some de- of the, I was going to say, I think that's some of the like uh, thing that we are deceived about is we see mundane days like that as mundane yeah. and kind of like to be passed over or we need to get past them really quick to get to the important stuff. But sometimes that is the important stuff. That is the significant thing happening and we just need new eyes to see it.
0: Was there a catalyst moment in your life where you started to see things a different way? Because this is kind of the, Th- this idea about re-looking at your day and your purpose and your calling, it's its kind of the core of this new book, Purposefold. And, um, but when did this thinking process, this kind of shift and like, mm-hmm. hey, I live to serve for the Lord, when did that start in you and, and how did you get there?
1: Yeah. Um, it actually started in my 20s. My early 20s, you know, I Grew up with big dreams in my heart. I'm going to go do great things for God and thought I'd be single forever and be like an overseas missionary or something like that. But then I got married when I was 20 and to a really godly man. And early on in that relationship, we had a major curveball. He was offered a spot on a record label in Nashville. Mm. And so all of a sudden, my 20s are. I'm married to a superstar Christian singer guy. And we're on tour together. And we're, you know... Doing all these cool things, except he's doing the cool things. And I'm running all the behind the scenes stuff. I became essentially the merch manager, tour manager. I organized flights and travels, found Sharpies so that he could sign CDs. And I took pictures of people who were like, he changed my life. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, man, my what I'm doing doesn't feel significant like what my husband is doing. And I kind of felt sidelined. I felt benched a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. what, what really do I have to offer the world? I feel like I have more to offer than just training people how to use a credit card machine, you know, at the merge table. And I began to wrestle with these ideas then, um, as I found myself kind of grasping for any type of significant activity that I could get my hands on. And Really still feeling enslaved and, and um, it was in that wrestle that I began to kind of realize I think I have some of my definitions wrong about how I understand what is meaningful, what's significant in activity, because the apostle Paul looks at his people and says, Whatever you do, you eat, drink, or sleep, I mean those are the most basic, boring, mundane things ever, eating and drinking. Do it for the glory of God that he would he's elevating all of our activity to a huge Hugely weighty moment. And what I was doing was devaluing all those moments of activity because they just didn't look quite as cool as what my husband was doing.
0: Did you get to that shift on your own? Did did someone pour into you along the way? Because I I think as I as I hear you talk about your relationship with the Lord, there's probably somebody who's listening that's like, oh God, I want that depth. You know, I want that depth with him, and I want to be that that thoughtful about it. But I can't even get to church on time and I don't know, you know, like <laughs> all the things. How, yeah. how did you get there?
1: Well, I would say a huge moment was um, time I spent with uh, my husband. and I spent with a couple in our lives that um, by all intents and purposes, like no one would know who they are. Right. Um, but really godly people had six kids they were raising at the time and we would go over to lunch At their house and we would stay there and just linger for like three or four hours and just to get to watch this woman in my life live um with a sense of weightiness about everything she did Mm. (laughs) and she didn't teach me she didn't sit down with me and go kelly uh this is how you do it you know like this matters and that there was no um curriculum i was just in her ecosystem watching her live with a sense of contentment, even though uh, what she was doing is not anything that would be posted online or seen as significant. She was hosting people in her home, having uh, patience with her kids, taking as seriously those things as attending church, as doing other more notable things. And over time, just my exposure to that and watching that, she became someone that I remember thinking, I want to live like that. I don't think I even had words to say that, like, what exactly that meant besides that Mm. she lived with such meaning and purpose in those moments and i wanted that and i think that kind of speaks to the power of discipleship even i think discipleship at its core is come on with me right it's life on life do this with me uh she modeled that for me and modeled a type of freedom that i didn't have you know i'd watch her live with vibrancy and freedom and here i am in this space on uh, on the road and in tour life, and I'm just all angsty and mad that I don't have something cool to do. Um, I have no sense of the value of what's set before me. There are people in front of me, caterers and sound engineers. They're maybe not the people my husband's ministering to on the stage, but there are people God's setting in front of me, and I can't even see them or care about them because I'm so obsessed with having something unique to do that like makes me the star of the show. But I think it was very ordinary men and women in my life I got to spend time with that really helped me see there was an error in my way of thinking. It was, it was helping me kind of catch wind of that so that I could address it with the Lord.
0: I often think of Matthew four nineteen when Jesus says, come follow me, right? Like it's that whole, like, come do life with me kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that you've experienced one side of it, how, how do you make time and space for younger couples in your journey now?
1: Yeah. Well, um, that's changed and ebbed and flowed in every season of our life. You know, we have a little baby right now uh, who's 10 months old. So this past season hasn't had quite as much of that as we've been in the like, (laughs) you know, survive that stage. But we actually led a college group for about eight years at our church. And what a wonderful way it was for us to get young couples into our life. But then we're often trying to find ways to just have people over for dinner and model the same thing, to set aside a whole afternoon and evening. I think that was what was so helpful for us is we would spend hours in the home of somebody Mm. else, not just like, okay, your two-hour window's done. We'll see you later. It was lingering. We got to watch them parent. We got to watch them have conversations. And so we're actually really intentional with people we're letting into our life to not just uh, do the cool things, like put on a good face, but if a kid's acting up, it's like, I'm going to address it while this young person's here because that's part of discipleship. Um, We once had a young college student who needed a place to stay for a couple of weeks. And so we ha- let her stay in our guest room. And Jimmy and I got into an argument uh, in the common area. So she was downstairs reading a book, and we kind of, you know, had that miscommun- miscommunication happen. And both of us, without really – it's like an unspoken rule, but we just knew, oh, we're going to have it out right here in front of her because uh, we knew this girl to be somebody who had really unhealthy – patterns modeled in her home of how to deal with conflict. And so we're just one room over, clear earshot, working through our problem, whatever it is. And later I found out she was so uncomfortable. She was worried we didn't know she was in the room. Um, we absolutely did. We actually, once we kind of resolved it, I talked with her about something different. But to us, that was like, you need to see how people who are trying to follow Jesus do these things. And you don't mm-hmm. see it unless you let people in to see both the good things and like the not good things in your space, and it's uncomfortable and costly of your time, but I think that lingering time with people really makes a difference.
0: One of the things that I appreciate about your story is that you do so much with Jimmy, your husband, mm-hmm. and actually the the dedication to this book is for Jimmy, without whom this book would not exist and I'm wondering if you could just tell us your love story, married at twenty. Fill us in. I love a good love story. I'm a hopeless <laughs> romantic. So fill us in on all the details.
1: Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> it is a fun story with a lot of twists and turns. And we, we actually just talked about it on our own podcast because it's been so windy. Um, we really did have that curveball early on with uh, we got married and we're on the road. And honestly, it was rough because I was not ready for... Being sidekick Kelly to this cool new thing. And I don't think I realized how hard that would be for me, how much of my pride it would expose until I was there. You know, I'm standing next to him. There's a line of people wanting his autograph and they're just fawning over him. And I'm just like, this is, I, I'm cool too, guys. You know, that's what's coming out of my heart. And so honestly, our first several years of marriage were really hard, full of a lot of conflict. Um, and then later on to that, we experienced uh, several miscarriages in a row several divorces of friends and family. And so our beginning of our journey was just steeped in a lot of hard and without good counselors and and good people in our life, like that couple I mentioned to stick in it with us, uh, who knows where we'd be, but we worked through it by the grace of God. And God granted me a lot of humility and repentance in that season, which was Mm. uh, such a gift. And uh, I really found myself settled eventually in the world of just the the behind-the-scenes world and really the things we're talking about. My days are meaningful because God is in them. And then we get the wild curveball of me writing. You know, I had already always been writing, but it was really Jimmy who looked at me one day and said, I think you need to write this book. Um, It was actually my first book, Friendish, which has been out for four years. And he felt so strongly about it that he told me, I'm not going to make an album next year. So that I can help more at home with the kids, and you can have space to write, because I think that's what our family needs to be behind in this season. And <clears throat> that was—I mean, every year since we had been married, right? Was an album about every year. He's just cranking them out because that's his passion, and um, it was a huge gift to me that he did that. And so, really, when I that dedication is true, like it—it it was in this season with this book too that I—I wasn't ready to do it. Our life was full, and he said, "I want to make it happen. I believe." In this message. And it's really allowed even our marriage to feel a little more like um, that we're on a team together, that neither one of us needs to have the spotlight all the time. Uh, We're rather looking at our unique family and trying to assess what is God doing right now? And it might be with neither of us. It might be with our kids. It might be with something else. And we as a unit want to get behind that thing, whatever it is. And that sometimes has been me writing. It sometimes has been him putting music out. It sometimes has been him preaching more. And we're just trying to adjust as a collective whole and go, how, how do we support one another and really be about the kingdom together? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really been the most beautiful thing in our marriage over the last 17 years has been um, two individuals kind of chasing their own particular set of passions to really learning to be a unit together, not driven by our passions, but driven by what God is setting before us as a, as a family. Because for me to write a book, it may be my name on it, but my family has to do a lot of shifting around for that to even be possible in a healthy way. And so it really is a team effort
0: one of the things I hear is that you and your family are quick to pivot when need to be and, and move and kind of be nimble with the Lord. Uh, I always love to ask people how they discern God's voice. And, and I'm going to throw mm-hmm. a little bit of a curveball here because I'm curious how you discern discern God's voice individually and also corporately kind of mm-hmm. with your family. Because as you described what Jimmy gave you, that gift of like, hey, I'm not going to record, that felt a little bit like a gift that you didn't really want. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is totally true. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, definitely, it, it, I had definitely overcorrected or course corrected so strongly from my early years of like, I need to have something cool to do. Like God exposed all this pride, granted me humility and gifted me with repentance. And it was so sweet. And honestly, at that point, I swung the other way and swore off public ministry. I was like, I'm done with stages, I'm done with that. I just, I was so enjoying my walk with God. I didn't want anything to get in the way of it. And I really had perceived, these more public things are the, are the problem. So I'm just done. And I had had, he and other friends in my life had been telling me for a long time, you need to write this book. This is clearly from the Lord and I'm just like shutting it down, giving them all my reasons. And it was really when he said that i am I have made this decision I'm going to help more around the house so you can do this, that I remember thinking, God, you really want me to do this. You know, mm. that really was kind of the linchpin moment for me of of really feeling a sense of, this is a work God has set before me. And so, like, to get to your question, how do you discern the voice of the Lord? Um, I think community is a huge part of that. And I think the people that God has placed in authority around us are a huge part of that. You know, all of us are under a type of authority in some way. Yeah. Um, as a wife, I'm under the authority of my husband, but all of us in churches are under the authority of our elders, the shepherds God has put around us, and that's one of the ways He speaks. And writing for me has been informed by that. You know, some of our other pastors have pulled me aside and said, "Hey, we're watching what you're doing, and we want to support it. <laughs> How can we help make that happen?" And I'm going, "I talk to enough other women who want to write, and that's not happening." <laughs> So I don't know why God has put, I don't know why, right? I don't always put me in this particular space and season where I have people in my life saying, we want you to do this and make a way for it. Um, But I'm taking that as the Lord's direction for me. And then at the same time, he'll shut it down. Uh, I started writing this book, Purposeful, at the end of 2019, early 2020, and made plans to write it mostly in 2020. And of course, when the pandemic happened and my three children came home to distance, learn from home, which is a full-time job and a half, I knew (laughs) through my circumstances, this is not the time for me to write. Um, Because if I were to do that, it would evaporate any time I have with God. And I know my first command is to walk with him, right? Love him with my heart, soul, and strength. And I wouldn't have the energy to love my neighbors, my children, my family, my physical neighbors in my community, in my neighborhood. I wouldn't have time to do these basic commands set before me. And so that's another way that I'm trying to discern his voice is my circumstances and kind of the basics I know that are set before me. Those will of God statements, right? In the scriptures, it is the will of God for you that you, you know, stay sexually pure, that you pray without ceasing. You know, if I can't do those things, I can't also say God, if, if I say God's called me to this, but it inhibits me from doing the basics laid out for me in scripture, then that's not the voice of God. <laughs> he's not going to call me to something that's going to evaporate my health in these other areas that he's already told me matter to him. And mm-hmm. so I stopped writing in 2020 because even though I did feel like I was called to write this book, it's like, well, it's not for this year, obviously. Uh, it's time to put it on hold and he, the Lord will let me know when it's time to pick it back up again.
0: Hey guys, if you weren't here last week, you may not recognize me, but my name is Caleb Stanson and I have been editing the Reclamation podcast for the last few years. Aside from a podcast editor, I am also a songwriter and Christian artist, and after almost three years of work, I am excited to tell you that my second full-length album is set to release on September 29th, and I want to give you just a small taste of one of the songs. And I am walking, a free man, I am changed on the In my life oh, every single time somebody me why I say, has got me grateful I am grateful. If you like what you heard and you love Christian music, I hope you'll check out my album titled "The Good Life on September 29th." Until then, you can follow me at Caleb Stanton Music on all socials and even pre-order a CD if you're into that kind of thing on my website, which is Calebstantonmusic.com/store. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Kelly. I think that's really well said that all of those things have to push us closer to him in that process. And uh, I know that there are a lot of busy people who are listening. And one of the things that I hear from you is that you're dripping in scripture. And so one of the things that we say around here a lot is that if you're not dedicated to your disciplines, you'll be destroyed by your distractions. Mm -hmm. And so I love to ask people who are dripping in scripture, "What what are your daily disciplines and how do you manage them with, With little ones.
1: (laughs) Well, with littles in particular, I've just had to settle that my time with God is, for this season, not physically alone. (laughs) That I'm just not (laughs) going to be alone. Um, And if I try to wait for that, it just doesn't happen. And I have to meet with him. I mean, if I'm too busy to meet with God, I've kind of started asking myself the question, then what am I doing with my life? This is priority number one. You know, the better thing is is to know him. Uh, That's what Jesus did and what he accomplished primarily. So um, I have had to settle for a type of communion with God that maybe isn't my preference. So that for me is mostly on the couch in the mornings while most of the children are awake. And interrupting, and I'm having to train them in those moments. Hey, mom's reading your Bible. I'm trying to talk with Jesus. The same way that we would train our kids if we had a guest over that we were having a conversation with at the couch, you know, we're oh, talking, sure. yeah. they interrupt and we teach them. You can't do that. I'm talking with somebody and I'm trying to teach my kids just because you can't see the Lord doesn't mean I'm not talking to him, that he's not real and worthy of the same amount of respect. And so mom's having a conversation with the Lord. <laughs> just wait, go play. I, I'm, I'm, I'm. Yeah, you can be hungry for five more minutes. You're going to be fine. Um, So I've had to about every quarter of the year, about once a quarter, I'm reassessing how I'm meeting with God because Mm. school's about to start. So that's going to totally change that. I probably am not going to have my time with the Lord before they go to school because it's such a busy flurry of activity, but it'll probably happen Once I drop them off and get home, but there's, again, there's discipline to that, right? It's easy at that moment to pop open the computer and be like, it's time to respond to the emails. It's like, for me, it's got to be, no, that's, that is my, my time to meet with him. And I always plan a backup time as well. (laughs) So I plan in every quarter, like a preferred time and a backup time, because without fail, something is going to happen one day. And so my backup time will be, you know, when the baby goes to sleep, nap time, or, you know, before I go to bed. And that's really helped me have a consistent, um, moment where I'm meeting with, with the Lord day in, day out.
0: You and your husband both seem very creative to me. Like, as I, as I kind of dove into your lives a little bit, internet stalked you, I guess is the right way to say it. Um, how did the, how did the creative process come together for you on this? Because, and for those of you who haven't looked at the book yet, it, it kind of takes us through different sections: our purpose, problem, uh, your purpose is a person great in him, seen by him, impactful through him, irreplaceable because of him. Non-obsessed verbs and uh, this kind of journey through the process. H- how did you put that together? And what I'm really curious is: did you ri- did you have to write it in order? Like, talk <laughs> me through the creative process, mostly because I'm I'm just really curious about it.
1: Yeah. Um, man, I did not write it in order. (laughs) So (laughs) I learned that from my first book. I tried to write it in order. And then in the last moment, I like put section, I put chapter five as chapter one and it all just moved around and I felt more freedom, uh, this time to just write, uh, what I could when I could. And just remember good editors and good people who read and give you feedback are going to help me make sense of it in the end. But one of the, um, the things that I've realized is very important for me, and I think for most creatives, is creativity has to come from rest. Uh, You can't, it's almost impossible to run real hard, have a hard stop, okay, now I'm gonna do, you know, three hours of writing after I've been in a flurry of activity. That first part of my writing time is almost always just decompressing decompressing from just kind of a busy, hectic day or morning. Um, It's the reason that Jimmy and I will often facilitate writing retreats for each other. Uh, I'll take the kids, you know, for this week, whether it's a week in the summer, we'll go to the grandparents, you go get away. Because that time alone facilitates first rest. And I usually on a writing retreat need a whole 24 hours of not doing anything. Because as a mom with a bunch of kids, my brain is just busy. And to be creative, you need space in your brain to really take these huge concepts Mm. and think through what's going to make the most amount of sense? How how am I going to get through this mountain of information in a way that's helpful to people? What really is my main goal? What's my thesis? What am I thinking about? I mean, there's so many thoughts your brain is weighing in a moment, especially when it comes to writing, uh, that I've now realized rest is a big part of that, uh, regularly and then in big chunks as I prepare to try and be creative and 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 honestly, being married to somebody who had been songwriting for a long time was helpful because he kind of became a coach for me through this process. Because mm. I would sit down at a writing retreat and feel bad that I'm wasting time. Like, you're you're doing so much to help with the kids. Like, I feel bad that I didn't write any words today. And he would talk to me and go, Kelly, you need a whole day to rest before you can write. Because he had experienced that trying to write songs. And now writing sermons, he knew from experience, you need that rest. That's part of the process. And so enjoy it. Take a nap. Read a novel, and get get to it tomorrow. You're going to be better for it, and the work is going to be better for it. And so, that was a, that was hard for me. I'm very much a doer, very task oriented. But he really was a good uh, coach for me through both these books of writing.
0: When do you think we started to get off course when it came to our purpose? Right? Because I, you know, kind of one of the uh, kind of ideas of the the book is that this you know, that we've got a a purpose problem and and kind of our purpose has become our identity instead of our identity in Christ. And of course, I'm Mm -hmm. oversimplifying everything. But when do you think that we kind of like, when do we go awry?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's an age-old problem. I don't know if it's necessarily um, a new problem to our current generation, though it is definitely taking on a new form with social media and technology. But I think our problem is... uh, that we tend to define our purpose by what we do. Uh, When we think my purpose is blank, we put a verb in that space. My purpose is writing. My purpose is pastoring. My purpose is whatever. Most of us are going to put a verb in that space. And that's very problematic because uh, it's going to hinder us um, with changes of seasons when maybe we have to become a caregiver to a parent or a child, when maybe we get sick ourselves and we can't do the things we once did, it's a problem for uh, the disabled community who is not able to do the thing. It it, it essentially is a position of privilege to say my purpose is blank or that I get to Mm. decide what it is. Um, There's plenty of believers around the world who don't have any option about what they're going to do for a living or with their lives because of all sorts of circ- circumstances of poverty or war. So, putting a verb in that place, I think, is problematic. Uh, I think the scriptures, when we really search them to go, what is our purpose? Um, our purpose is not a verb, but a noun. Our purpose is a person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, Isaiah 43 will say it this way God, who made us, is talking about these people who created and says, I made you for myself. <laughs> and in another place in that same chapter, he'll say, I made you for my glory. That you exist. When we talk about something's purpose, we're talking about its function, what it exists for. A coffee cup's purpose is to hold hot liquid um, so that you can drink it. You know, a fridge's purpose is to keep things cold. And so when we think about our purpose, we have to look to our Creator the same way we'd have to look to the instruction manual on any other thing to discern what its purpose is. And when we look at God's instruction manual for us, our purpose is Him. That's why in Mm -hmm. Genesis 1.27, it says, when He made us, He made us in His image, that we, by our very nature, are reflectors of him. Our very existence is tied to his, and that means even if in my old age I suffer a stroke and I'm bedridden, I can't speak, I can't do anything but receive care from others, I have no less purpose in that moment because I reflect him by my just existence, by my very breathing, and as a believer by my... uh, thankfulness and prayerfulness and all other sorts of things. And so I can live with purpose and meaning even when I'm just laying in a bed, not accomplishing anything by the world's standards. And that, I think, is what frees us to actually, when we are able-bodied, to work hard for Him, because the work no longer is what defines us. Mm. It's something that we can do and not do and be okay in both days. We can take a Sabbath rest, and we can work hard one day, and both days are full of purpose because... God is in them both, and we reflect Him in both, and that's what He made us for.
0: I think there's a lot of listeners, leaders who are listening right now, who are going, "Man, I, I want that in my life. I I, I need that." Like, because you know, there's so much burden that comes with leadership and mm-hmm. and work and pastors and CEOs alike. Um, aside from going into their next. Y- you know, annual review and putting down that their yearly goal is to just be obedient to the Lord. <laughs> right. Which would be great. Like I'm, I'm here for that. Like my 90 day yep. goals, do whatever the Lord says. <laughs> um, h- how do we live in the tension of, of clearly a world that may not a hundred percent be on board, but yet we want to reflect Christ and still do good work. And, and wrestle with not be worry about being known, but also we don't want to, you know, fade away into nothingness. You, you know, there's just so much tension in it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of tension. And, you know, I think that by believing the truth that we're made for a person doesn't ever and shouldn't ever equal a life of doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. We actually see Jesus you know, tell us to consider the things entrusted to us, right? When the parable of the talents were called to consider what things have been entrusted to us and to utilize them to produce a greater return. But the question is, how do you define the talents that are entrusted and how do you define the return? Um, because mm-hmm. I think we're too narrow in both that we tend to think of the talents entrusted to us, like in that parable as our passions and our skill set, things like that. Those, those become things where like, Oh, I really got to steward those. And yes, you should, but I also have relationships that God's entrusted. No one else is the wife to my husband, the mother to my kids. That's huge. That's a huge, really heavy talent that I'm called to steward. No one else is the neighbor to my three unbelieving neighbors that live right next door to me. That's, that's a huge thing God's entrusted to me. Am I stewarding that well? Um, there's suffering in my life that God's told me how I'm comforted. I'm to comfort others. Am I stewarding that well? So there's, there's a, it's very broad. And then even what is the return? Um, I think it's not as measurable as we think. You know, in our modern day, we want metrics to everything. We want numbers. We want to be able to see this line on a chart that goes up. But that's just not how God measures things. And I think you see it even in people like John the Baptist, uh, who Jesus called the greatest man who ever lived. But if you put his life and his ministry on a chart and on a graph, it grows really high and then takes a steep turned down when Jesus comes on the scene and then he's imprisoned and beheaded. It's like, Jesus is looking at that saying, that's great. <laughs> that his posture <laughs> is one of, I live for the person. You know, when his disciples come to him, like, John, everybody's going away. Your ministry's going away. He says, amen, as it should be. I am not the bridegroom. I told you I'm not him. I am the friend of the bridegroom. And I am so happy to just hear his voice. His people belong to him, that he's so mm. utterly Jesus-centered, that he's fully at Jesus' disposal. Does he need me to have a big ministry? Does he need me to be imprisoned? I'm happy both places. And it's producing fruit. It's That, to me, is good stewardship of a life, though it's not measurable in the ways we'd like it to be in the return that we see. Um, and so I think in leadership and in and places of ministry, it's a good caution for all of us to go, am I measuring things like the world does or like Jesus does? Am I uh, using we should use every strategy we have within us to get people more of Jesus in our ministries and the ways that we're leading. Yes. But are we measuring our growth and the fruit of that the right way? Um, Some ministries are not going to grow exponentially. Does that mean it's a failure? Not necessarily. I don't think so. Um, We don't just, we just don't have the privileged place to see what God is doing. One day we will. One day we'll be able to look back and see. But that's not today. There are plenty of people in our Bible that we know their lives mattered a ton, but they didn't know that in the moment. We have the, yeah. the after, like the epilogue, we get to see the journey. They didn't get to. Um, but that's a valuable life lived. So I think just we've got to be cautious how we define success and, you know, how we see that.
0: So as this book is kind of now out into the wilderness and this whole process of putting together a book like this which is both like as I as I looked at it it, it was like oh well this makes perfect sense right like this <laughs> is exactly what we should be doing and also it's like oh man this is really hard <laughs> yes. uh so w- what's your prayer um for the person that picks up this book as they begin to read it
1: Yeah my the, the prayer that I've prayed the most for readers is that they would be freed mm. and relieved of pressure. Um, I think a lot of our modern understanding of purpose and meaning puts us on a treadmill. And we need purpose and meaning to live. I think these are essential human desires. I don't think it's bad to long for uh, a sense of transcendent meaning and purpose and to have a life that matters. I think that's good. But because we need it, um, the way that we understand purpose, we just end up on this treadmill chasing a carrot on a stick that's never within reach, and we're exhausted and Mm. burdened. And so my hope is that as people read this, they won't find a new system staring them in the face. They'll find old truths that they knew that will be familiar, maybe just seeing it in a new light and that it will be freeing, um, that it will free people to maybe step off the treadmill um, not to stop working. <laughs> uh, the Lord has given us good work to do, but to step off that ex- that exhausting pace of never enough, always running. And that it would relieve burdens. Um, there's so many people who feel just burdened by what they could be doing. You know, technology has opened up the door for us to do mm. anything. Anyone can start a podcast, write a book, um, make a difference, start a nonprofit. And that actually really burdens us because we want to get the gospel out there. We see the opportunities in front of us, and we feel a lot of pressure to um, to do that. I hope, though, that the book is relieving to people of that heavy burden and frees them to walk with Jesus daily and do the good work set before them and find themselves actually in a really healthy, active, hardworking life for Christ, but coming from a place of rest and a sense of assurance that life has meaning, even if they didn't accomplish anything notable to the world today, uh, that, that their meaning is secure in him.
0: Very well said. Um, okay, I have one more question for you. But before I ask it, I know that my podcast family is going to want to connect with you all over the interwebs. Where's <laughs> the best place to learn all things Kelly?
1: <laughs> you can actually go to jimmyandkelly.com so you'll learn about him too while you're there but that's where you'll find articles he's funny he's very funny yes (laughs) so you can go listen to our podcast (laughs) you guys are funny together (laughs) i i love it we have we do have a lot of fun together and so on that website jimmy and kelly you can go to the podcast page and listen to some of our crazy antics together Um, but also learn about my books and articles and find places to follow us online um, and also learn about his music and kind of some of our story together. That's all at that website.
0: We'll link to all that in the show notes, and we'll also link to the podcast that you uh, just released about marriage and your love story and all that stuff. So you can go and listen to all that. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, okay, last question. I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice, except I get to name the season of life that you're in.
1: Ooh, this is fun.
0: I want to take you back to the end of your very first day on tour with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the before mentioned sidekick Kelly. <laughs> if you could go back and pull a chair up in front of that younger version of her of yourself Sit knee-to-knee with her, hold her, in the, uh, hold her hands, and look her in the eye. What's the one thing you're going to tell her about what she's about to experience in life?
1: Mm. God is for you. Mm. I'd probably say that. God is, is for you. He wants more good for you than you want for you, and your circumstances are not the problem. <laughs> in these circumstances, God is for you, and is planning good things.
0: Amen. Amen. That'll preach any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Kelly, thank you so (laughs) much for being so generous with your time and your heart and your willingness to share and for what you do to build the kingdom.
1: Thank you so much, Tony. It's been a joy.
0: I told you guys what an incredible, incredible conversation with Kelly. I just love her heart. I love her focus on Jesus. I love the way that she thinks that our purpose is really a person. If there's one thing that you get from this conversation, I hope it's that. Hey, I'm praying for you guys. Uh, Do me a favor. Show your appreciation by sharing this podcast with a friend, maybe somebody who is struggling with their purpose. And as always, uh, go let Kelly know that you heard her here on the podcast and how much you appreciate her. Every time you do that, I hear back from guests. It means the world to them. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this community. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And as always, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.